misses. Brock isn't dead. It's just sleuthing. With your host, Willie Whitebread, and Mark Audio Slave Stewart. Hey, motherfuckers! Welcome back to another episode of Rock Isn't Dead, It's Just Sleeping. Wow, that's a little prequel to what we're going to be speaking about tonight. Uh, You're with me, Willie Whitebread, as always, and that loudmouthed motherfucker that just scared the shit out of me. Mark (laughs) the audio slave. (laughs) Those sounds really do amplify through those microphones very well. They're very high-quality microphones. So uh, by my illustrious co-host outburst there, you can guess who, whom, who, group of whoms that we're speaking about tonight. It is the 60s and 70s and kind of 80s power group, super group, rock explosion, arguably one of the greatest rock and roll bands of all time. They were the greatest rock band of the 70s. Yes, led Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin. We were going to talk about a little bit more on the uh, British blues movement, which this kind of falls into it a little bit. But uh, our our dubious uh, third co-host on the on the matter, Drew Delta Drew Pearson, he decided to watch football tonight. So we're going to talk about Led Zeppelin, mm. which kind of ultimately portrays the the British blues rock explosion, kind of in and of its whole. Yeah, I think. Oh yeah. So, let's talk about Led Zeppelin. One cannot simply talk about Led Zeppelin without talking about the Yardbirds. Would you agree? That is true. So, the Yardbirds, they were an English rock band formed in London in the early 60s, specifically 1963. Mm-hmm. Very bluesy. Uh, not They were almost like a bluesier version of the Beatles, in my opinion. That was uh, Jimmy Page, Eric, yeah. Eric Clapton. Page came later. Um, Jeff Beck in there. Jeff Beck was in there. Right. They had the three best guitar players ever to come out of England in one group together so, at one wh- time. Why didn't Eric Clapton join Led Zeppelin? Uh, because he was off doing his own thing. Clapton just, was off doing his own did he, shit. Did he get sick and tired of their shit and said, that's it? What, I'm the Yardbirds? Yeah. Yeah. Well, essentially. Yeah. Uh, because their original lineup was just, it, they were just a small town college band. Uh, they weren't anything crazy. Uh, their original lineup was Keith Reif. Uh, Jim McCarthy, Chris Dreha, and uh, Paul Samuel Smith, and obviously, um, well, they had a guy named Anthony Topham, uh, aka Top, in there for a little while playing lead guitar. But um, Eric Clapton had since replaced that cat mm-hmm. um, prior to them getting signed. Um, so yeah, essentially, <sighs> Clapton just wanted to do his own thing. He wasn't liking the direction, and I can kind of see that because. The Yardbirds, they were good. Yeah, uh, but they know. were so 60s. They were very 60s. There was no like rock and roll, heavy rock and roll yeah, they sound were, to them. Yeah, they were kind of a small post, post interlude between hard rock and Beatles. They were kind of like a little bit of a hyped up Beatles a little bit with some bluesy influence. Right. You know, I mean, I like them okay, but they, it was a lot of like almost bluesy doo-wop kind of music and it wasn't really my favorite. But you can yeah, like they used to dress up like in like suit and ties and shit, right? Like the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. You know what that I mean? was that was what they did during those times. Right. Know? That was that was the thing. Uh, so they they started getting big in actually uh, early '64. So they did kind of get big. So they they were playing off the Beatles thing, and they they did start getting a little big because they were opening up for Sonny Boy Williamson the second. 
um, mm-hmm. between uh, late 63 and early 64. And that's what actually got him signed um, to Columbia's label in February of 64. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we said, they were, a, they were a weird bluesy rendition of the Beatles and Clapton, because you can hear it, you can hear Clapton in, in, their, uh, in their influence, you know what I mean? You can hear that Clapton, you could hear something different, like something right. that something's not supposed to be there. You ever listen to a, a music group and you're like, one of the members of this band is too good to be in this band. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> you sit back and listen, you're like, you're too good of a drummer. To yeah. be with these fucking guys. And that's when they, that's when they get approached by record studios yeah. and say, let's, let's pull you out. You don't need these guys. Right. We can make you a lot of money. Yeah, it happened with Morrison. <laughs> exactly. It happened with yeah. Morrison. They approached Morrison. They're like, man, you are way too fucking good to be playing with these mediocre-ass instrumentalists. Yeah. And, which is what they were. But anyway, so uh, going on, Eric Clapton left in 65 uh, to pursue his... In very early 65 yeah. to pursue his own adventures his own now that's dreams. when he, he went to cream right yeah because he wanted to play something heavier he the made, psychedelic he made thing. cream yeah yeah like he was it was his essence it wasn't like right. a, a band that was already established right right and that's kind of cool too because uh it's interesting to see a british rock band um adopt something like that from america you know everybody adopted the blues right everybody did the blues thing yeah uh but Britain kind of, uh, you know, they they're they they're usually trend starters when it comes to big music scenes. Mm-hmm. I would say, yeah. other than a couple, you know, you've got your grunge stuff. Obviously, that's an American thing, but um, but they've lot, never stopped. They've never stopped. Yeah. So that's why Clapton he wanted to go somewhere different, which is another interesting thing about Clapton because he's so versatile. Like if you look at Yardbirds, Clapton, Cream, Clapton, and then just self-titled Clapton. That's totally different. You know, Derek and the Dominoes type stuff. It's very different stuff. Yeah. You can actually see. It's like watching a child grow. Like you see Clapton grow as a musician. Yeah. And he just grows at such a rapid rate. And he did that that thing. As much as I dislike Bob Dylan, he did that thing that Bob Dylan did. You know, Eric Clapton, the people looked at him and go, wow, you're great at what you do. And he goes, yeah, I am. I know you like it, so I'm going to go do something fucking different now. <laughs> and I'm going to be good at that. And you're going to equal, I know you're going to hate it for like a second, but you're going to equally love it as much soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know what I exactly. mean? Exactly. So, so that's what I've always respected the most about, about Clapton is he's so versatile. Um, he's obviously one of the most amazing guitar players that have ever walked. So we'll talk a little bit more. Let's see. So the Yardbirds, you talked about Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page. Uh, Jeff Beck, after shortly after Clapton left, uh, the, the Yardbirds manager, Giorgio uh, Gomoski, offered Clapton's job to Jimmy Page. Hmm. But Jimmy Page initially, uh, he declined it because at that time, you got to think, before Led Zeppelin, uh, Jimmy Page had done some cameos in different bands and stuff, but he was a studio musician like bassist John Paul Jones. Right. Jimmy Page in a very successful one. Yeah, he was good. Th- he was that's what he was good at. Yeah, he was a very, very successful and a very good studio musician from a very young age. The kid was on television playing guitar, and I don't know. I think he was like eleven. Yeah, ten, twelve, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Very young. Um, so Page denied it, obviously, because he's got his own thing going on. And so, being that Jimmy Page and Jeff Beck were friends, mm-hmm. uh, Jimmy, you know, he was over there hanging out with Jeff Beck, and he was like, "Hey, you know, you guys should you want to link up with this." These Yardbirds guys, um, you know, the, you've obviously heard of yeah. them. He's like, oh, I mean, I guess, you know, that could, that could 
be fun, I guess. Uh, and so and Jeff Beck ended up joining the band. And then... Well, Jeff Beck didn't really have much else going on at the time, did he? Besides the studio not work. really, no. I mean, wasn't he... he was, later on, he was uh, ELO, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but he didn't have he didn't have much going on. And when the the dual guitar masters kind of, you know, those two universes aligned was um after the Yardbirds bassist uh Paul Smith, he decided to leave and he wanted to be a producer. Yeah. Um and so that's when Jimmy Page actually took his place. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting for a lead guitar player, well not necessarily a lead guitar player, but a but a very you know, eccentric guitar player to take the place of a bassist. That's kind of odd. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it did, obviously you can, you can tell between two type alpha, you know, kind of mentalities, somebody, I wouldn't say type alpha as like a person out in public. I would say type alpha in the music sense, in yeah. the instrumental sense, obviously Jeff, they're Beck, all big league, you know, big league. Right. Yeah. They ain't no little pansy guitarists. They're, no, they're, they're fucking big caliber. league shit. Yeah, they're the ones that people are going to listen to. Right, and so that's like having two captains of the football team. Like mm-hmm. They're going to clash, like, I want to lead this way, I want to lead that way, because obviously Jeff Beck, again, Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page were the both, I mean, in a million years forward, better the best musicians in the band. Yeah. They were both, obviously, the leaders of the pack there. Yeah. Um, and so it didn't last long um, with the two lead guitars. It didn't last very long at all because they – you know, Beck wanted his guitar rights. He was there first. He wanted, mm-hmm. it was his gig and Jimmy Page obviously came in. He's a very eccentric guitar player. He's very well versed in a lot of different things. And yeah. He came in and started, you know, uh, taking over a little bit. Um, but they did have one big major single together, um, happenings 10 years time ago. That was, that was pretty good. Um, and then they made another LP. They made uh, their final LP little games. That was, um, that was cool. It was a decent record, and you can kind of see Jimmy Page's leadings to Dazed and Confused. Mm-hmm. If you guys ever want to hear what Dazed and Confused came from, you can check. Uh, like I said, you can check that that the last Yardbirds LP. You yeah, know, because that was on their first. That was on Les Zeppelin's first album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that kind of I figured, you know, in order to talk about Led Zeppelin and understand Led Zeppelin and how they formed, you kind of need to know the Yardbirds. Yeah, the Yardbirds. I agree. Are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what about this Zeppelin band? How'd they come around, man? Well, wasn't it like the Yardbirds were going to kind of like go into a new direction and Jimmy Page kind of got the, the okay from, from the record labels to say that you, yeah. you go ahead and, and pick whoever you want. Yeah. You yeah, know, that's, that's what it was. Because Jeff Beck kind of said, I'm out. Jeff Beck left. He yeah. had a nervous Top, breakdown. Topin's already gone. Yeah. Right. And so Chris Dreha so, and Page were the only ones left. So, um, I would say that. Jimmy Page also had another friend who was also a, a studio musician. His name was Terry Reed. Mm-hmm. And Terry Reed was gung-ho on joining the band. Yeah. And then, I don't know if you saw this in your notes or not, but Terry Reed wanted to join the band, but he also wanted to be the lead guitarist as well as a singer and, yeah. and, and make Jimmy Page second guitarist or even the bass player. Yeah, and see that's band. that's that's where it kind of gets muddled throughout history because a lot of the shit you read will just simply say, you know what, I'm sure in order to save face they'll say, "Oh, Terry Reed was the he declined the offer." Yeah. Terry Reed didn't decline the fucking offer. No. Anybody that no, works no, with no, Jimmy no. Page is gold. Oh, it says like Terry Reed declined the offer and then he um, he said, "Well, you know, there there's this guy Robert Plant, and I think he would be perfect for your lead sing." Yeah. And, and he's got he's in a band called Band of Joy right now yeah. with uh, another guy who's great John Bonham. John Bonham. Let's, yeah. let's, let's, you know, you got, you can get two for, and and then legend has it, 
Paige was like, well, what, what does he look like? What does Robert Plant look like? And then Terry Reed says, oh, he looks like a Greek god. Yeah. That, that was, you know, that's written everywhere. Yeah. But, and that's cool. He was a very, he was a very feminine man. Robert Plant. Jimmy, Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy Page did not want Terry Reed to play and sing. And so that's, oh, no. the rest is history with that. So no, he wanted him as a front Page, man. Yeah. So Page was like, you know what, Terry? Thanks for the info. I'm going to go over here and get these guys that you, 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 know, you yeah. told me about. But you get lost. That's, yeah. that's pretty much what happened yeah. with Terry well, Reed. And, and Terry Reed will be forever known as the man that turned down Led Zeppelin. Correct. He could have been the front man for fucking Zeppelin. But man. would it have been Led Zeppelin? No, probably not. Probably it would have been, been a, a really good band. Yeah. And Jimmy Page would have been awesome, but it wouldn't have had the Robert Plant sound. Yeah. 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 So, and he was in another band, Robert Plant. I was reading a little bit on some biography about him, and he was in another band called Hobbs Tweedle. That's right. That's right. <laughs> now I'm, I'm thinking that's like all Tolkien stuff. Yeah. Why, all, why the name of it? All just Celtic. Yeah. Because Plant was big into that shit. Oh yeah. He I mean, loved you, it. You can hear it in Zeppelin's lyrics. I yeah. mean, it's all over the place. Yeah. Immigrant Song. Yeah. Battle of Evermore. All mm-hmm. that shit. He oh, yeah. he loved talking about you know Celtic mythology and, yeah. and different things like that. Yeah. Gollum. <laughs> yeah. Gollum. <laughs> the evil one. Yeah. So Plant obviously accepted it um, and recommended his like uh, Mark said his band of joy drummer John Bonham, um, and so they're now in it. Now they need a bass player. And so Jimmy Page, being the illustrious studio musician that he is around England, obviously knows a few people, and so he suggests the ever-so-pleasant and ever-so-quiet John Paul Jones. Right. Because of all like the crazy... Because there's a lot of shit that goes on about Zeppelin. A lot of rumors, a lot of talk, a lot of shit that they actually did do, a lot of shit that they didn't. But John Paul Jones never participated in hardly any of it. No, he, he was kind of just along for the ride. Yeah, he was yeah. kind of he kind of treated it like a studio as musician bass players ship. normally are. Yeah, just along for the ride. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Unless you're Les Claypool or Getty Lee <laughs> or Roger Waters. Yeah, or Roger Waters. <laughs> yeah. So uh, John Paul Jones ends up joining the band, and so now they have a beautiful four piece. Mm-hmm. And Dreha, who was you know obviously the last remaining members remaining member of the Yardbirds, he ended up dropping out of the project because he was still along for the ride with Paige. Yeah. He was, well, he decided to go to college, right? Yeah, he was going to be a, a photographer. Bad move, dude. <laughs> but they didn't they didn't get the name Led Zeppelin right away. They were the new Yardbirds. They were the new Yardbirds. Yeah. And that's kind of what they that's what they were touring as. That's what um, they signed up they signed through Atlantic Records for. Yep. Yep. Yeah. They signed through Atlantic Records under the name The New Yardbirds. Uh, and they played their first live show in Gladzak, Denmark in uh, early September sixty eight. And people didn't like them. Critics didn't like them. No, because they were different. Yeah. They were the new wave. Right. Nobody fucking likes the new wave. Exactly. Nobody likes the new wave at first, man. Mm-hmm. The new wave is bollocks <laughs> at first. Uh, so they they started picking up a little bit of success, uh, and they started working on their first album in late 68, uh, which was recorded in nine fucking days, which, how impressive is that? I mean, but a lot of the bands in those times, I think, didn't, didn't take months and months to record stuff. Yeah. You know? Well, they didn't have anything else to do. Well, these guys, you know, they probably had material. Yeah. You it know. probably wasn't that expensive either. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like now, what is it now? What is it for like an hour of studio time now, you think, like a grand? Uh, if you're recording? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It could, it could be, you know, at least for, for an album, for a cheap studio, I know it's like between five and 6,000. Wow. If you want to make an album, like a whole day out of it, you know, or a couple of recording sessions for... 
until the album's done. Jesus fuck. And Paige fronted the whole thing. Yeah. He he fronted the entire project for well, the first Well, he had money. Album. Right. He's the only one that had money. Right. And so they're still under the name The New Yardbirds at this time, but Chris Dreha, the one that ended up leaving to go to college to be a photographer, he issued he got a lawyer and issued a cease and desist letter because right. they're starting to pick up fame and he's like you can't use my name. Yeah. <laughs> And so uh, after talking with Keith Moon and who was on a talk show host one time, he's like, these guys are going to fall like a lead balloon. That's right. And so hence they got their name Led Zeppelin. Right. Yep. They dropped the A, changed some shit around. Boom. Led Zepp. So that's it. Now we've got Led Zeppelin. They created their logo and never changed it since. They never changed it one time. Like you said, they signed uh, with Atlantic in 68, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they played their first show uh, as Led Zeppelin at the University of Surrey mm-hmm. on, uh, in October of 68. So let's talk a little bit about their first album. Let's talk a little bit about their first album, man. Not my favorite one. Yeah. Uh, obviously, a fantastic album. Not my absolute favorite album. Um, a couple of singles from that one, uh, from Led Zeppelin 1. Is uh, good bad good times bad times uh, as Mark said days confused which is a rendition of an old Yardbirds lyric or uh, riff right and uh, communication breakdown yeah I mean good songs great songs great but, great songs of course legendary songs legendary songs but and that's that's what kind of that's when they started getting the recognition that they needed obviously they dropped the album but they were mm-hmm. unlike anything that was going on at the time oh yeah. Oh they yeah, were, they were they were it, well beyond everybody else. Oh my god, yeah! In their debut album, uh, they immediately went right to U.S. tour. Yeah, at the end of '68. That's why it. they're 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 known as the pretty much the the Godfathers of heavy metal, you know, because yep, Sabbath, you know, is also known as that as well. But Sabbath's influences was Led Zeppelin, right? Big time. Yeah, absolutely, and and you can hear. Because they they start I wouldn't say that they changed their sound per se, but they they kind of go in different directions with each album. Yeah, and well, this one I was gonna say they they started with a lot of uh, like like a lot of slower stuff, and and yep. towards the end it was all just fast in your face yeah. rock and roll face melting riffs. Well, because that's what they that's what they were getting the most they were getting the most recognition for yeah. was their hard hitting face melters. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's cool as shit. They were busy their first year forming. Oh, they yeah. were busy. They did uh four U S tours, four UK tours and recorded two albums, mm-hmm. two albums. Cause Led Zeppelin two came out very shortly after Led Zeppelin one, same year. Well, 69. Yeah. Same year. I think <laughs> they both came out in 69. Uh, how crazy is that? And Led Zeppelin two, I believe is when or Paige started dressing a little bit more flamboyant. Yeah. Started getting the rock star vibe. Yeah. And other members of the band followed suit. Right. Specifically Plant. Right. Led Zeppelin too. And that's interesting enough too, is Plant Plant was a very, I mean, I think he was like 20 at the time, 19. Yeah. When they pulled him out of Band of Joy or Band of Joy. Uh, He's still in Band of Joy. Is he really? Well, when he tours by himself, he he calls himself uh, Robert Plant and his Band of Joy. Really? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, his, um, what was I saying? He, uh, he was a very young musician at the time. And so he, and very young in the sense of not, not just of age, but an experience, you know, cause at the time, like we talked about, Jimmy Page was already a, an extremely successful studio musician. Right. Right. So he had, 
He had his feet under him. Yeah. He was moving. But Plant, he didn't even write much on the first Led Zeppelin album. Mm-mm. Not much. And Mm-mm. you can see a lot of uh, bluesy type music, slower type music, except for Communication Breakdown. Obviously, that was a that was a test of the Robert well, Plant pipe was, system. There was a lot I of think. material that, that um, Page had to get out of his head, <clears throat> you know, from the Yardbirds. And yeah. just in the transitional period. And Plant was probably like, you know what? Just go ahead and... You do what you, th- you want to do with this album. Yeah. I'm just going to tell you, tell me what to sing and I'll do it. Yeah. You know? oh, you're, you're the experienced one. Let's find a groove and I'll find out where I fit into that groove. Right. Obviously we work well together. You like my sound. I like your sound. Let's see how you write. Right. And I'll write along with it. So Led Zeppelin two, it's also my second favorite Led Zeppelin album. Uh, that, that had the, some powerhouse singles on it. And that's more, that's more Robert Plant style coming in. A uh, whole lot of love. That was a great song. Obviously, yes, I know. It was a Muddy Waters, Willie Dixon rendition. But, and that's, a lot of people say that too when they talk about Led Zeppelin. They say, oh, well, they stole music. They didn't steal music. Everybody steals music. Right. Anybody that's ever picked up a six string and played a guitar riff has stole that riff and that basic writing not even, style. Not even knowing consciously. Right. Yeah. Not even consciously. You've stolen songs. I mean, they, they, they definitely took a song and remade it. But, uh, the, what they did to it made it completely their own. Yeah. Led Zeppelin, what they did to a whole lot of love made it completely their own. Um, one of my favorite other songs, um, one of my favorite Led Zeppelin songs, period, is from that album, What Is and What Should Never Be. That's a fantastic song. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's a fantastic song. And obviously, Ramble On. Yeah. Ramble On is a great song. And, and I think this album also, they're, they're, so right now, they're in full swing. Like they're moving in 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 sixty nine. They're doing oh. US tours, they're doing UK tours. Yeah. And they're gaining intense notoriety. Oh yeah. You know, they're it's, it's, I mean, they're the biggest band in the world. Yeah, at this time they're starting to pick up that notoriety. And by nineteen seventy, they are going to be labeled the biggest band in the entire world. Yeah. The number one band in the world. Which is crazy to think about. Because mm-hmm. I mean has any, has any of the people that we've talked about in the past been the biggest band in the world at a particular time? Oh. Except for maybe the Beatles, you know, obviously. Floyd was pretty big at one but time. But the biggest in the world? I'm talking down from Ukraine to Djibouti, Africa? You're, yeah, you're right. You're right, because, you know, Floyd and Zeppelin, they were around at the same time. Yeah. You know, and they were considered the biggest band, so but yeah. Zeppelin was... Everybody wants to be John Bonham on drums. Everybody wants to be yeah. Paige on guitar. Everybody wants to have pipes like Plant did. Right. You know? Right. And since uh, ever since Greta Van Fleet, I don't think I've heard anybody else. Yeah. And I'm, even Greta. Well, as cover bands go, I'm sure there's plenty of Plant in person. Is Greta Van Fleet doing anything? Are they still Are they still moving forward and writing albums and shit? I have no idea. I think idea. they kind of died off a little bit. When I first heard them, I was like, yes. And then I was like, oh. I thought Zeppelin was came back together yeah yeah i was like jesus christ and it's funny too because when you when you listen to interviews of them they're like no way we didn't take any influence from led zeppelin that's why i don't like them i'm that's, like okay i mean if they were just to give kudos to zeppelin a little nod i mean then maybe i would i would give them a listen but <laughs> yeah i mean exactly um, fucking millennials yeah fucking. <laughs> and so i want to i want to talk about this too mr john bonham yeah holy shit john bonzo bonham damn what a drummer oh pfft Dude was like nobody else. No. (laughs) He was notorious for purposely breaking kits. He would play so hard. Yeah. He would break his kits. Not by throwing them. 
yeah. but by playing them. <laughs> and he would also, sometimes he would lose his sticks and he would play with his hands. Yeah. So his hands were like steel fucking karate master chop weapons, man. He would fucking He was play. a big dude. Yeah. I mean, Frankenstein big. Yeah. And yeah. he was always drunk. <laughs> fucking always drunk. Yeah. So pain wasn't a thing to him. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of there's a lot of speculation and a lot of rumor behind him too. I just wonder how he keep time being a drummer and being that drunk playing all the time. I don't. Like, know. I guess you just get used to it. I guess it's crazy to me. I guess I don't know. I mean, because if I have a, if I have a beer and I'm playing guitar, I'm like I'm already losing. <laughs> mm. I've never been able to play guitar drunk. I don't like it. I don't. I'm slower. Yeah. I can't figure out because I, you know, usually when you're playing, yeah. you hear something in your head and your fingers follow. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. You know, take you a few tries, but uh, for me, can't do it. No. It just it sounds like shit, and then I end up getting mad, and then I put it down. Yeah, but, that's pretty much my experience with it too. <laughs> yeah, but but Bonham, you know, obviously because the drummer's the heartbeat of the band, that's the backbone of the band. Yeah, and he was fucking intense, man. Oh, dude. Insane drummer. One of the best drummers of all time. In fact, I would almost say that he was the best rock and roll drummer of all time. I could kind of agree with that. Best rock and roll drummer of all time. You know, maybe not in technicality, but his timing. Yeah. His timing was impeccable. His intensity was amazing. If you ever want to hear... His solos were incredible. His solos were incredible. If you ever want to really like hear John Bonham's intensity, go listen to, to the last song on Led Zeppelin IV, When the Levee Breaks. Yeah. You know, when he comes in real hard like that. Yeah. Oh, my fucking God, dude. It's it's crazy. And there's only one drummer that I've ever seen play with almost the same intensity as John Bonham. Who is that? Is that Phil Collins? No. In the air tonight? Definitely not Phil Collins. (laughs) Definitely not Phil Collins. That would be a Mr. David Grohl. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. David Grohl. He's a very intense drummer. Yeah, so is Vinny Paul from Pantera. Yeah, that too. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Dave Grohl, he was an amazing drummer. He still is an amazing drummer. I was kind of sad to see him go as a prominent drummer because yeah. I love seeing that. I love seeing very intense drumming. He's been there, done that. Yeah. 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 And I guess, and, and I guess he's being, a good front man too, even though you don't you know, agree. Uh, I mean, I don't think he's a bad front man. I just think his music sucks. I think he's a great musician. I think he's an awesome guy. Yeah. yeah. I think he's a very talented musician, and he's a pioneer in his craft, but I think his music sucks. I see Taylor Hawkins has a new uh, new band, or I don't know if it's a new band, but he has a, he's got a new album that just came out. Taylor Hawkins does? Why? I have no idea. But I, listen, I listened to a couple songs, and I was like, what? What is why, he doing? Why? why is he doing that? Why did David Grohl start a band? Yeah, well, that's not going to happen. Rock's dead. <laughs> or no, it's not dead. It's just sleeping. Mm. Keep sleeping if it's going to be Taylor Hawkins. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think something said, too, because like we were saying, the rumors surrounding John Bonzo Bonham, he was a very aggressive guy. He was an interesting one because it was said that he was a very aggressive man. He would beat up roadies. He would get into fights. He would ride his motorcycle through hotel rooms. He was always working on his cars. He's a big car guy. Uh, you yeah. know, there's videos on the song Remains the Same, that 76 DVD that dropped. Well, it wasn't DVD at the time, but a movie that they movie album yeah. uh, that they made of him racing through the UK on his in his Ford Model T. He was a very intense guy. And I think there's something to be said about that with drummers because that's their creativity because drummers are usually very intense people. Yeah. They've got a lot of energy. They've got a lot. They're very intelligent. They're very. They got a lot to say, and that's how they fucking say it. Right. You know what I mean? Because I feel like if a drummer, like a very intense drummer, doesn't get his drum sessions in, he's going to fucking implode. Yeah, well, go work out. 
all hotels have have a little space. To eat. Yeah, yeah, but when you're the biggest band in the world, <laughs> yeah. nobody's waking up at five a.m. to go hit the fucking Nordic track. Well, it doesn't it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't help the matter that he's drinking a half a bottle of vodka at all times. Well, he was also a huge family man. He hated being away from his family. Yeah, I mean, the guy lived on all a farm. of them. You know, had families. Yeah, Jimmy Page didn't really give a shit. Jimmy yeah. Page was fucking a fourteen year old named Lori Maddox. He didn't really care. Mm. Mm. John Paul Jones, he was in there finger painting and fucking listening to lullabies and shit. Nobody knows what John Paul... There's not much on John Paul Jones. He was just... He's an incredible keyboardist, an incredible bass player, uh, but just not not a lot on him. He didn't fit, really, the rock and roll lifestyle. He didn't participate in all the antics like and they're, shenanigans. They're really. throwing TVs out the freaking hotel window, and John's, yeah. John's just like... He's reading you, the TV guy. Can you keep it down? I'm trying to take a nap here. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to decipher the Pythagorean's theorem over here. <laughs> yeah. Can you guys please settle down, you rapscallions? It's almost 8 o'clock. <laughs> you know? A.M. A.M. Son of a bitch. I've been up for six hours. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, and so... Uh, what, what were we saying? I lost track. Uh, we were talking about uh, Bonham still, I think. Bonham, 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 Bonham. So, and another thing you can see in the song Remains the Same is he, he was truly a very country and kind of small town guy. Uh, he shows videos of him riding his tractor around. That was all real shit. He loved his family. Yeah. He hated being away from his family. Wah, so, I'm a rock star. Wah. Well, you know, he, he wasn't really... I mean, he was into it, obviously. You're into the... Pay, but look at all these rock stars that end up on depression medication and killing themselves in one way or another, man. It's got to be difficult being away from your family at all the time. Yeah, you know? and yeah. He, and back then, it's not like he could just pull up Skype real quick and talk to his wife and kids. You know, he's on day 46 of a 93-day U.S. tour. Yeah. And all the correspondence he's had is maybe a 20-minute phone call and a couple letters. Yeah. You know, and so all of these guys, but all of them other than John Paul Jones was were experimenting with heroin because back then, you got to think in the 70s, there was no warning label on shit. No. You know, it was kind of like, yeah, Coke's good. Coke will pick you up. You're feeling like shit. Just yeah. do some Coke. It was yeah. okay. Or if you want to get off heroin, just take these tranquilizers who were equally or more addicting than right. the heroin themselves. Uh, well, then Bonham, Bonham was given some kind of a psych, psycho, anti-psychoactive yeah. de- antidepressant yeah, of that, the time. That, and in combination with he was getting off heroin, so he was taking that, uh, what is it? What, I know Bonham? For, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was getting off heroin, and what's the, it was the equivalent of that, uh, that no-drink pill. Like, if you do heroin, you'll get real sick and start throwing up and all that shit. Naltrexone? Something like that. Yeah. He was on that, and he was, uh, you know, he was on anxiety medications and all this kind of stuff. So he said, well, I'm done with heroin, so I might as well drink. Because there, no, there was no rehab, right. really, back then. Right. You didn't just go to rehab. You snorted a couple lines and took a shot and went on about your fucking tour. Right. You know, and that finally caught up with him. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to turn this into a John Bonham theory session, but... Uh, each one of them are masters of their craft. They're very well known in their instruments. They know their instruments, and they're very interesting human beings, each one of them. Right. You know. I can agree. You know, Bon in particular, because he, the intensity that man drummed with is second to none. So needless to say, Led Zeppelin has gained, at this period in their, in their career, they had, they had gained the notoriety of being the bad boys of rock. Oh, 100%. You know, they're, they've been, they were notorious to have four or five hour concerts yeah and uh behind the s- scenes of the con- of these concerts were supposed to be like partying like a rock like a rock star right i mean that's just where they kind of got that they, they were the first ones of their kind well you have jim morrison and stuff like that that what they didn't really party though they didn't party like led zeppelin party exactly you know they jim were, morrison would lock himself in a room with a fucking 
Wiccan chick right. and fucking party for three days, but he wasn't out in the, like, partying. Yeah. You know? Uh, Zeppelin was doing the very stereotypical rock star thing, and that's another thing that you mentioned. Uh, they were very big, and they would have five-hour concerts. They were very well known for being very unpredictable as far as playing songs. Like, yeah. they would never play the songs the same way again because look who you have playing them. Yeah. Jimmy Page and fucking John Paul Jones. And, you know, these guys, they were very, very much impromptu musicians. So going to their mm-hmm. concerts was a, it was an experience. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm sure all of you listening that have actually been to their concerts, I'm very, very jealous of you. Um, so like Mark said, by this time, they're very, very notorious. They're picking up speed. And in 1970, uh, Robert Plant and Page, they uh, retired to the Bronar Remote College in Wales to start working on Led Zeppelin three, which was uh, like we talked about when they started picking up a little bit more of acoustic style, kind of folky, right? And uh, a lot of J.R.R. Tolkien st- references in there. You know, you've got immigrant song and a lot of Celtic imagery. Yeah, um, going into this, and I got to say though, Led Zeppelin three is not my most favorite album of theirs. I like the immigrant song. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of songs that just weren't they were okay. They were experimenting. That's why uh, I like I like the best of Led Zeppelin. <laughs> the best of Led Zeppelin. <laughs> you know, they had the immigrant song and Tangerine, that was a great song. Yeah. It was a great it was a good album, you know, but coming off Led Zeppelin 1 and 2, to me personally, I'm like, mm, no, no. Okay. I mean, it's good, but like <laughs> Could be Before better. we go any further, did you want to tell them about uh, the vinyl cover for Led Zeppelin 1 and how there was an orange cover that's worth a lot of money? I actually don't know about that. Tell the kind folks, Mark. Oh, I thought everybody knew. No. There's, uh, I know about the green one of Metallica's Ride the Lightning. Well, this is, this is an orange cover for the album Led Zeppelin 1 mm-hmm. and the the whole Led Zeppelin is you know you know that Led Zeppelin that was uh, the Hindenburg right yeah yeah the one down yeah in uh, New Jersey yeah anyhow if you happen to come across it at a yard sale buy it immediately because what is it the whole thing the whole cover is just orange it's just just yeah, a misprint it's, it's like a misprint I guess it's like just like an orange haze across it because hmm. it's usually just black and white yeah but this has an orange, you know. They probably only made like 600 of them or something. I don't know. I don't know if it's, if it's that rare. But Do you know where it was pressed? Was it pressed over in England? That Did they fuck it up? No, yeah, I, I do not know. Hmm. But Well, if out, you guys it, ever it, find it, one. It's out there. Go ahead and fucking there were, the old it's thing It's probably up. worth thousands. Probably more. Well, probably more. Bazillions. Bazillions. <laughs> Bazillions of dollars. So by this time the third album has dropped and it they are they are in fact in so facto the biggest band in the world. Biggest band in the world. Congratulations. Yeah. You made it, guys. You made it, guys. <laughs> uh, I also want to talk a little bit about cuz at this time uh, there's a curse said to be behind Led Zeppelin. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And I want to talk a little bit about Jimmy Page and his involvement with the studies of Aleister Crowley. Yeah, Aleister Crowley. uh, Well, he bought Aleister Crowley's house. Mm -hmm. Bolskin House in Mm. Scotland overlooking Loch Ness. Fun. Yeah, sounds like great fun. Uh, (laughs) Does the graveyard come with it? Uh. Does the the rolling head that follows me around the house, does that come with it? so this is a very old house. It was built in the 1700s. I think it was like 1776. And at this time, 
Jimmy Page was very known. He he went he went to the U.S. at one point to I forget the uh, the director, but there was this very controversial movie in the '70s called Lucifer Rising, mm-hmm. uh, and he went over there with Plant and picked up a copy. And this is where Jimmy started getting into the. I don't, I don't know what you would really call it. I don't know enough about that culture to delve too far into it because some would call it, you know, dark magic. Some would call it just being a magician. Some would call it Satanism. I don't really know too much about it, and there's a lot of mystery behind it. However, it is confirmed that Jimmy Page did actually participate in these sort of rituals and was very much infatuated with Aleister Crowley. Probably has something to do with being a better guitar player something like a crossroads type situation probably you know and it's also said that every other member in the band participated in jimmy page's rituals other than john paul jones yeah <laughs> and then they also were supposedly they have uh, a record one of the records you could play backwards and there's, yeah. there's, there's subliminal messages led zeppelin four yeah um but see, after kill this... Kill yourself. Yeah, kill yourself. <laughs> no, what does it say? Oh, hail to my sweet Satan. Those oh, whose little... Yeah. yeah, those whose little path will make us sad, whose power is Satan. I was really deep into that kind of shit when I was in high school. I don't know why I was, but I was. Um, you're so, evil. Yeah, you're evil. And so Jimmy Page was very influenced by the works of Aleister Crowley. He is said to have participated in numerous rituals, some of which that he drug other people into, such as Robert Plant and John Bonham, in order to further their success and explode them into rock stardom. I don't know why he's doing this. They're already the biggest band in the world. Did you hear that about that time that Ozzy came over to the Crowley house? No. And he went into the bathroom, and then he heard a noise, and he goes, Mr. Crowley. <laughs> Is that how that song came That's about? That's how it came about. Is that how it came about? I always wondered that. <laughs> yeah. I always wondered that. No, there is said um, that the black the song Black Dog okay. was from uh, the Aleister Crowley house. Uh, one of the, for- I think it was one of the former owners, or maybe it was Aleister Crowley himself. Somebody was sleeping, mm-hmm. and then they heard like a bunch of you know demonic speaking, and there was a lot of growling. Behind so it, was a, door. it was a hellhound? Yeah, like a hellhound kind of thing or growling a, behind the door. And the person never jackal. opened the door. He's something of that nature. Uh, never opened the door. And then the next morning, he finally opens the door to come out. And there's this old black shaggy dog that runs around all happy and nice around the property. And that's said to be the influence behind the song Black Dog. Weird. So, very weird. I mean, what the fuck else was there to do back then? We weren't exactly. Netflixing. How high were you that yeah. night, Jimmy? We weren't Netflix, and we, all you get, all there is to do is do heroin and fucking sit around in demonic rituals. I mean, well, what else could you do? There's a lot. There was a lot of psychedelics going. I'm sure that time. Yeah. So I mean, you're seeing shit that's yeah. not there constantly. Right. Quaaludes were really big too. Were they? <laughs> like in the 70s. Yeah, and and there was a specific maker. I was I was told his name was Osley, not Ozzy, Osley. And so Osley was was this chemist guy who made these giant fucking horse fucking quaaludes that you just pick off like a whole chunk of it and just fucking however you ingest it. Every single time I hear about the word quaalude, I can't help but think about the Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Get the ludes. Yeah. <laughs> I can't but, help uh, but think about that shit. I remember growing up and I was at this guy's house and, and, and uh, he was an older guy, a buddy of mine. Where did he touch friend. you? <laughs> 
<laughs> he didn't touch me enough. <laughs> no, so so uh, he pull, he goes in his freezer and he pulls out one of these Osleys, and he's the one that told me about these things. And he had them, he stored them in his freezer from this fucking seventies. You're dude. holding your hand out like you're holding a it pool was ball huge, right now. man. It was like a hockey puck, dude. So you bit into it like a fucking Klondike I didn't bar. Know. He showed it to us. He didn't. I wasn't gonna take it. I didn't know what the fuck that really what was. You, that was that was a real thing. That was a real thing. You just go take a bite like a fucking Klondike bar and just roll on. Apparently that was Ram-a-long. that was a thing. Yeah. I guess sweet. Uh, so anyway, a little bit more about Led Zeppelin. Their uh, their fucking crazy antics. I want to talk about their their plane, the Starship. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, they, they didn't get the Starship until what uh, early seventies. After this, se- I think Led this, Zeppelin three, I think. I think it was Led Zeppelin six. Really? Yeah. Was it? Yeah. Well, I could be wrong. Uh, but this thing was badass. They completely took a Boeing 720 and completely gutted it, put in full bars, a full piano, shag mm-hmm. bed, all this crazy party shit. Well, and then at the same time, they were also like upping their, their game on their uh, on their stage setup, too. Yeah. Like disco balls, lighting, sound upgrades. Well, that's, that's the I mean, time yeah. period, too. That goes with the time, because then you had Floyd knocking at the back door. Right. And right. they had the best best show on earth at that time. I'd so say plants like we need to get lasers up in our show. <laughs> we need to, we need to get he's probably exactly how he said it. Yeah, we need lasers up in our show. That's exactly what Do you we see. Need. What Floyd's doing? Yeah, we need lasers and shit. <laughs> Bonham, play the lasers. We get you laser sticks. But <laughs> you ever listen to uh, Bonzo's birthday party live set? Uh-uh. That was a famous live album that that uh, they put out. No, I've never yeah. seen that. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty good. Really? Yeah, I used to have it on CD. Bonzo's birthday party? Yeah, Bonzo's birthday bash, I think they called it. Oh, yeah. That's sweet. Yeah. I want to check that out. That I do want to talk about their fourth album, though. Let's back it up. Their fourth Burr. album. Back it on up to their fourth album, released in 1971. This is the one. Uh, you could either call it another self-titled album. Most people call it Led Zeppelin IV. Uh, like I said, came out in 1971. This is the one. This is the album. Not my favorite one, obviously. Is this obviously. the symbol album? Uh, no, that's, no. That's, that's later. That's later. Uh, some people call it Zoso album. I don't know why, but some people call it Elizabeth before just whatever. So yeah, but anyway, uh, so this is their album. This is when Stairway to Heaven came out. This was Misty Mountain Hop. When the levee breaks, that's that really powerful John Bonham drumming. Right. That's that beautiful, beautiful John Bonham drumming. Uh, that's Black Dog. That was the opening song uh, in Battle of Evermore. So. This was a fucking great album. Oh yeah, a fucking great album, and it's and it's almost like with the big Zepp heads, it's like, oh man, I love Led Zeppelin four. It's almost like that controversial, like, bro, you don't even like Led Zeppelin <laughs> if you like Led Zeppelin four. But no, so Led Zeppelin four is is like dark side of Led Zeppelin. Right, right. That's their that's their fucking PS de resistance. Yeah, um, and in uh, their subsequent concert tours and things, they were starting to break records for attendance. Hmm. Like breaking the Beatles records, breaking all these different records. Like they 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 beat the Beatles in Tampa Stadium in Florida. They played to fifty six thousand and eight hundred fans. Wow. Fifty six thousand eight hundred. That's a lot of people. I mean, yeah, but for Met- one band, Metallica played to a hundred thousand in South America. Yeah, but that's. Modern day stuff. Okay, yeah. With okay. planes and trains I, I and cars see, I can see and what things. You're yeah. see what I'm saying? With yeah. streaming music and CDs and all this kind of shit. These guys played in front of that many people, just them. So it's insane. 
this is the point in their career where they really said, we are the biggest band. We can do whatever the fuck we want. We'll go to hotel rooms. And, you know, they, right. they, well, at one point there was a, a Hilton that they went to and they got banned from it because they ruined the entire floor of, the, of this Hilton. Was <laughs> that the one in Japan? I think so, yeah. I think that was the one in Japan. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one where John Bonham drove his fucking motorcycle through it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there's also, about their hotel antics, there was also one with the mud shark, the mud shark thing. So it I was, don't know about that one. Yeah. The rumor is that the members of Vanilla Fudge and uh, Led Zeppelin had a groupie that they, uh, how do I put this, defiled with an actual mud shark, an actual shark that was caught, a small shark. They defiled a rodeo. the same with a girl shark. with a lobster and a lighter. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, they were, and, and the craziest part about all this is there was no like social media. You don't have TMZ following these motherfuckers around. You know what I mean? It's just word of mouth. <laughs> yeah, it's just, dude, did you hear? Yeah, I heard. Yeah, dude, Robert Plant fucked a chick with a fish, dude. Let's go buy Led Zeppelin 4. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? So coming on next, uh, their next album, which dropped in 73. So they're fucking pumping out albums, dude. They're on their fifth studio album in four years and with touring. They have no limits, man. And, and it's just their creativity is there is yeah. their only limits. Right. You know? Right, and this is said to start being the downfall of them. Uh, some say it was because they were getting burnt out. Some say it was because Jimmy Page's magic at the crossroads, if you will, was coming back to take what's owed. Uh, well, yeah, he started his heroin use really bad. He started his heroin use really bad, and bad shit started happening to Robert Plant. And well, then obviously yeah. the worst happened to John Bonham, but we'll get to that in a minute. I don't know. I think the worst happened to Robert Plant. You think so? I mean, yeah. His son? Yeah. Okay, we'll get to that in a second. So their fifth studio album and my actual top favorite uh, Led Zeppelin album was Houses of the Holy. Yeah. And that came out in 73. That had, you know, the song that remains the same, Over the Hills and Far Away, No Quarter, The Ocean. Mm-hmm. What a fucking now that, album. That, that cover was done by Hypno- Hypnosis. 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 Hib- Hibidnosis? Hibidnosis, however you want to say it. Was that like a famous painter or something? Oh, dude, they, they did all of... There, there was a London-based company that did all the album for a lot of the bands. Like the really? Pink, all Pink Floyd stuff was all done by them. Really? And so they did... Uh, yeah, they did, they did a lot of uh, Led Zeppelin's too. Um, now, the one that we're talking about with Houses of Holy, they depicted a bunch of new children on a causeway. Yeah. And that was like a big, big deal. Even though like, there wasn't like, you know, frontal shit, but it was like their butts and stuff. But still, I mean, even, today, even by today's standards, it's like nobody wants, why, why? Right. You know? Well, Jimmy did that. Jimi Hendrix did that. His first, uh, the Electric Ladyland album. Yeah. But the, that was super confidential, confrontational but, but and all that. But they were just girls, you know, yeah. young girls. These, these are kids, you know, running right. around. I mean, I don't know. Just, just but, listen to but, the fucking album. Come on. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Was Tipper Gore back there fucking trying to put a explicit material parental advice? <laughs> on it and shit. Yeah. Fucking Jesus Christ! But they did after after this album, they did take a, take a break and for a little you know, bit, and they started doing um their new, their new record label, Swan, yeah, Swan, Swan Song. Song. Yeah, yeah, that's cool, and that's when you know they're like, all right, well, we ain't fucking with nobody no more. No Columbia Records, no Atlantic Records, right. no EMI. We're not messing with any of you guys. We're gonna make our own records, right? And so I actually have one of the first albums of one of the first bands that they ever signed, the self titled Bad Company album. Bad Company was one of the first bands that Swan Song or ever, yeah, that Swan Song ever signed, and that's pretty awesome. Along yeah. with Pretty Things and uh, Maggie Bell. Um, but let's let's face it, Bad Company was the only one that really went anywhere. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. They 
you know. And they also had a for their launch party. I remember it was set in like a cave, and Swang Songs, uh, their launch party of their record label was set in a cave with a bunch of crazy shit going on. Shit that I don't really want to talk about on here. Yeah, I know it's a fucking podcast, but Jesus Christ, some shit. You just got to fucking let it live yeah, yeah. for a second. Yeah. Um, so they have their own record label at this time, and then they start working on their uh, their next album, their sixth studio album, which is Physical Graffiti, which was a double album. Mm. That was their first album released on Swan Song. Um, and, that, I mean, that was a pretty good album, I think. Not, once again, not my favorite. It had Houses of the Holy and Cashmere on it. Cashmere is one of my favorite Led Zeppelin songs, and it's a very yeah. intense song. Right. Because um, I love those intense Zeppelin songs like No Quarter is yeah. like my second favorite mm-hmm. Led Zeppelin song, and that is such an intense song. Days to Confuse. I love those very intense. The, the, I mean, Zeppelin let's face songs. it; they're all pretty much intense. Though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but that's but that adds to their their mystery. Like I said, they're not just in one box. You know, like Corn plays heavy metal music, Slipknot yeah. plays heavy metal music. Well, that's like you know, early in, in the career, Robert Plant said you know he wrote <laughs> Stairway to Heaven. And then nowadays, or even back in back when like it was like before, right before the end of Led Zeppelin, he was he would say, "I don't, I really don't even like singing that song because it's it's just it's not who I am anymore." You know, the, I've changed so much through the years. Right. I, I, I doesn't I don't really really relate to that guy who wrote that song. Right. Exactly. Um, and like we were talking about, after Physical Graffiti came out, this is when start, bad shit started happening to Robert Plant, um, his son Karak. Carrick. Well, before that, before that, I think it was a car his, accident. It was a car accident. Yeah, before his son died, um, Plant and his wife Marine were involved in a really, really serious car accident in Greece. Um, yeah, basically, where, went off the side of a fucking cliff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, all Plant did was fucking broken ankle. But yeah. his wife Marine was hurt real, real bad. She broke her vagina. Yeah, she broke everything. <laughs> she had to have a blood transfusion. Yeah, it's bad. It was like, bad. Jesus fucking Christ. And then, and then. Um, well, his son didn't die for a few years, but um, yeah. But, but then still, later on, while they were on tour, yeah, his son had con- contracted a stomach virus, yeah, and that, passed on from that, which is insane. Insane. That was in '77, and that was kind of the kind of the kind of start to the end. I mean, they had another album after Physical Graffiti. They had um, Presence, yeah, which was released in March of '76. That was a, that was a good album. But this, you Achilles' Last Stand. That's a pretty good song. Um, but this is when you can start see like the mid to late seventies. You can start hearing the burnout. Yeah, you can stop hearing the passion. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that they're bad albums. They're not bad albums. They're great albums, but they're not Zeppelin albums. albums. Yeah, they're not powerhouse Zeppelin albums. Right. Um, and so, and then so Plant had a, a myriad of different injuries, and so they didn't tour in seventy six after the release of Presence. There was was a Presence. Was that the one that he recorded in a wheelchair? Yeah. yeah, he recorded the album Presence in a wheelchair, um, which was great. And they also, in 76, came out with that uh, that concert film, Song Remains the Same, which yeah. is good. That's good. Yeah. I really enjoy that. Um, so anyway, we'll move on. Like I said, his, uh, his son died in July 26, 1977, while Plant was on tour. And obviously, the rest of the tour was canceled. Um. And so they flew back and started doing their own things. John Bonham started going back to his family. And, you know, Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones started doing picking up some more studio stuff in between. Um, and in, in November of 1978, they started, uh, they went over to Stockholm, Sweden, to the Polar Studios. And they, result, uh, they recorded their uh, In Through the Outdoor album. Right. Which was a pretty experimental album. That was good. Fool in the Rain, All My Love. Those are two very, very good songs. Mm-hmm. Um, 
That was, I mean, that was a, that was, that one I liked more than Presence, I think. What do you think? Um, yeah, I could, I could see where you're, where you're going with it. Yeah, I liked it. I, I wasn't a big fan of Presence. So. No, not a huge fan. Um, Christmas Presence. Yeah, Christmas Presence. <laughs> uh, in 1979, uh, they had a couple warm warm up shows in Copenhagen, um, and then they started headlining a few concerts. They played in, at the uh, Nebworth Music Festival. They played in front of 104,000 people. On the first night, right? Yep, and, and then the, then they started. People were rioting and fucking going berserk and break gate crashing and all kinds of shit. You know, and Bonham was going to the fucking hospital for being too fucking drunk. Yep, and be passing out on stage. And then September twenty fourth came around. September twenty fourth, nineteen seventy nine. Seventy nine. Yeah. Uh, what about it? That's when. Uh, Bonham woke up in the morning oh. and said, I'll take uh, two quadruples and a ham roll for, and that's breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> Four quadruple. Uh, well, why is he from Brooklyn? All yeah. of a sudden. <laughs> everybody has different fucking, everybody has different things. I'll take, no, I'm saying, well, I'm not doing the Bonham impression and, I feel like I'm doing a New York impression. So yeah, Bonham, uh, he had four quadruple vodkas for breakfast. They're they're prepping for a their first North American tour since 1977. It's going to begin the 17th of October in 1980. And uh, drummer Bonham was picked up by his assistant Rex King to attend the rehearsals. And he, like Mark said, downed four quadruple vodkas at breakfast. Four quadruple vodkas of at breakfast. I've heard a hair of the dog, but motherfuck, dude. Like not really? even not even a splash of OJ, John. Yeah, <laughs> no it? thanks, no thanks, no thanks. I'm good. <laughs> Fucking fantastic. I'll punch your face and shut up. Get my vodka. Yeah, <laughs> that's more realistic. Probably I'll punch your face. <laughs> so uh, he proceeded to drink throughout the entire rehearsal into the night. Um, and somewhere a little bit after midnight, uh, Bonham was carried to his room, which he fell asleep and on fell his side. On his mostly. side, yeah, and ended up, I guess, rolling over. Um, and on fell his, onto his back, onto his back, and then fell victim to the same thing that Jimi Hendrix did through asphyxiation through his own vomit. Mm. Uh, and he was his his uh, his brainwave and his 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 motor skills were so depressed from the alcohol use that his body didn't tell him to wake up to turn over and choke it out. So he choked on his own vomit and well, died. He had forty shots of vodka that day. Yeah, the uh, coroner's report reported forty shots of vodka. Holy God. Yeah, dude. I'd be done after 10. Well, we were just <laughs> we were just fucking watching The Song Remains the Same not too long ago, and, and both Mark and I, we sat there and we're watching him. We're like, dude, he's 27 in this, and he looks 48. He does. He looked weathered. weathered. He had wrinkles and yeah. all kinds of stuff going on in his face. Beat up. Yeah. Tired. You know, and John Paul Jones and, and uh, Benji Lefevre, their, their then manager, found him. And obviously, so that was the entire... Tour was canceled. Well, and there was going to be, yeah, I mean, they were going to try to re- replace him with other drummers from other bands, and they had, like, a whole bunch of guys lined up, you know, to replace him. But you can't, really. And then the, the, then in December of 1980, they, they released a press statement, and the, it read, uh, We wish it be known that the loss of our dear friend and deep sense of undivided harmony felt by ourselves and our manager have led us to decide that we sh- could not continue as we were. And then it's, it was simply signed Led Zeppelin. Yeah. The end. That makes sense. But see, this is the thing. Would you agree or would you not agree that at the time that John Bonham died, however tragic it was, Led Zeppelin was kind of at a decline anyway? Yeah, they were at the end. They were at the end. Right. Do you think if John Bonham hadn't have died that they would have continued to go to maintain momentum? 
They, yeah, because they're, of course, they're going to go until they're, they're burned out. One of them's going to drop dead. And now that was, that was probably, you know, from the beginning, whoever dies first, that's when we stop the group. Right. You know? Well, I mean, I mean, and more so in the sense of, do you think they would have continued making good music? Or do you think it would have been a declination th- of, of artistic quality or something? I think they probably would eventually, the, the drugs and the booze and would have caught up to them. They would have had to take a break for a couple of years. Then I think they would have got back together. And done some like you know like plant you know page and plant they yeah. did, they, they did their duo act for a while yeah. you know they had big, big he had big log which was a good song that I was thought. a good song yeah there was a couple of good songs that pay, that plant you know came out with yeah by himself on his solo career in yeah. my opinion and they did the honey drippers yeah. for a little while and they and re, then, uh, they re rejoined for Live Aid right and then you have John Paul Jones who did uh, the cr- them crooked vultures yeah you know with a uh, you know Josh Homme yeah so I mean yeah I think that they would have but you know at that during that time, there's no way they were they were going to recoup from losing, you know, their powerhouse drummer, yeah, you know, they lost and him. friend, you know, yeah, and because they were all best friends, they exactly. were all really really good friends, they were exactly. very close. Because at that time, they had enough money they, to to live the rest of their life off of royalties. They didn't need to make any more music. So, right, you know, I think having Bonham die. Page kind of looked at himself like, "Oh shit, I, I need to get off this heroin and you know, whatever the fuck the other two guys were, were, were doing." I'm well, sure they were doing. They, they weren't angels at Jimmy the time. Page went back to the fucking cauldron, man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he went back to the cauldron, started sacrificing newt eyes and boiling up sage root and newt eyeball and shit and fucking. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> whatever he was fucking doing. But anyway, so that's a uh, that's the powerhouse band that is Led Zeppelin. Um, Obviously, I have the symbols of Led Zeppelin tattooed on me. They are probably in my top three favorite bands of all time. Wow. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I think arguably they were probably one of the top five best rock and roll bands ever in the world, period. Mm-hmm. Ever. Mm-hmm. And I think they're intensely influential in, uh, throughout rock and roll history and throughout rock and roll present and future. And they're so unique in the fact that you don't hear very many Led Zeppelin covers or you don't hear very much. Uh, you know how you listen to a band, you're like, "Oh wow, that sounds a lot like Pink Floyd," or "That yeah. sounds a lot like Queen." It or, didn't happen until Greta Fleet came around, right? And it took how long of how much lateral separation is that? Fifty years, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and still, even then, you're like, "That kind of sounds like Robert Plant," but it's not Robert Plant, nope. Or it's not John Paul Jones, or it's not Bonham, or it's not Jimmy Page. Yeah, you know. So anyway, uh, we love you guys. Um, obviously, uh, if you would like to watch the show live, go over to our Facebook page. It is the Rock Isn't Dead. It's just sleeping Facebook page. Check us out on Twitter or Instagram. We're going to be doing another T-shirt giveaway. Uh, the next episode, it's either going to be next week or the following um, when we have Delta Drew Pearson back to do to finish up the the British Blues Invasion. We will see you then. Bye. Bye.